What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Uh, Cannabis has been legalized, right, in the state of California, but we're going to talk about the ways in which law enforcement is exploiting legal gray areas to continue the war on cannabis. Our guest this morning is Kate Mishkin, a Los Angeles-based audio producer, journalist, and writer. Uh, Her latest piece, published by The Appeal, our friends over at The Appeal, is how California cops exploit legal gray areas to continue their war on the cannabis. Do we have you, Kate? I'm right here. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Kate, uh, please walk my listeners through what is Proposition 64. Sure. So Proposition 64, basically, um, it was, a you know, by the uh, residents of California, um, they voted to um, legalize personal uh, cultivation of cannabis for adults. Um, so, uh, for, you know, there are a couple different rules, but, uh, basically if you're growing, it's about six plants at home if you're, uh, over 21. Um, of course it's still, uh, legal under federal law, um, which means you can't, you know, smoke on a national park or take it across state lines. And, um, I think an important thing is that cities and counties do, um, regulate it slightly differently. Some, some cities and counties are slightly more strict than on a state level. So let's talk about Zeke Flatten. What happened to him? <laughs> Sure. So he was uh, uh, 2017 um, driving on the freeway with about three pounds of uh, cannabis that he planned to develop for a couple of different um, purposes. Um, one was actually a cannabis or a, a, I think it was a um, CBD infused uh, dog treat. Um, and uh, he sees a car behind him and um, pulls over and uh, the two officers um, don't identify um, themselves, but they did say that uh, they were with, um, they finally did identify themselves as federal uh, law enforcement and said that he'd be getting a a letter from Washington and um, proceeded to seize the cannabis um, and said that it was going to be a big problem. And he was immediately skeptical. um, And he, of course, never got that cannabis back. It led to a a lawsuit and kind of opened my eyes to this uh, issue. How common is stories like Zeke, uh, our stories like Zeke's uh, uh, around the state of California? Yeah, so according to our reporting, um, in the five years post uh, Prop 64, it's happened about 40 to 50 times all across the state. Um, but I'll, I'll note that our reporting is, um, you know, these are public records and, and that's in cases in which people have the uh, the means and the time and the resources to file a claim against a county. I'm, I'm, uh, experts say that this is happening way more than 40 to 50 times. Um, but yes, our reporting shows that uh, it's happened that frequently um, in the five years post Prop 64. I want to talk about the motivations. Can you speak to the fiscal motivations, perhaps, for counties and municipalities to be uh, exploiting these legal loopholes and attacking uh, cannabis growers? Sure. I mean, experts say that it's there is a kind of a legacy of uh, prohibition and that there this is a big money maker um i think in uh, mendocino county they expect billions of dollars coming in um yeah uh, th- thousands of tons of cannabis produced um every year in the emerald in the so-called emerald triangle and that uh, translates to billions of dollars in sales proceeds um so experts say that you know this power kind of tends to corrupt 
um, just kind of in the way that uh, it, it did in Prohibition. That's what a lot of um, lawyers kind of link this to. And um, there's a kind of separate lawsuit in um, Humboldt County in which uh, officers are accusing people who aren't growing cannabis at all of growing it and um, tacking uh, civil fines on them. Um, and, and it's, you know, really helping the bottom line for uh, sheriff's departments and counties. And so um, though it's, you know, there's, there's not necessarily, um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, they're not taking it and selling it. Um, but there experts say that there is a, a huge um, incentive to do so. You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but tug on the thread a little bit more about how the differences between federal and state laws are, are fueling um, these actions. Sure. Well, I think I can speak to, you know, a difference in um, attitude. I think a lot of uh, sheriffs and people that I spoke to said that um, because it is federally legal, there's there's still kind of an attitude about, well, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't right, and so we're going to take it away. Um, whereas I think the state is kind of, um, it, it's taken great strides to um, change a, a stigma around cannabis, um, but it's it's it hasn't been smooth sailing. A lot of growers I've spoken to said that there's been, um, you know, they're giving a lot of their money away and um, just getting licensed and, and taxes and competing with the illicit market. Um, so it is hard when there's two different landscapes here that they're navigating. For folks that do get caught up, they, they, they get their stuff seized, they get arrested, what kind of consequences are they facing and what is the overall impact on their lives? Like how long can these legal battles go on and how expensive can they be? Sure. I mean, just in Zeke's case, uh, you know, this happened in 2017. It's It's uh, been, you know, six years uh, and it's really taken over uh, his life. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's kind of dedicated himself to speaking to reporters like me. And, um, you know, even that is kind of a, you should kind of put himself out publicly like that. Um, it definitely has an impact on one's life. Um, not to mention um, the retribution. He he kind of, uh, he told me that a lot of things had, like there was a GPS tracker on his car. And of course, you know, we, we can't say that it's um, these folks, but, um, he, sh he sure seems to think so. Um, and yeah, as far as retaining a lawyer and, and a lot of these cases uh, start in uh, local court and they can get up to um, like Zeke is appealing his case. Um, so yeah, this is, if, if you choose to take this on, um, it is a, this can be a years long battle. Um, one of the folks I spoke to, um, she did this, her cannabis was seized um, actually a week before Prop 64. Um, but she she really um, took him to task and she really tried to get the canvas back because all her, her uh, the charges against her were dropped. Um, and even then, uh, she finally, she fought, she fought, and she fought, and she, um, she got the canvas back. And when she got it, um, it was moldy and it had bugs in it. Um, and so even then, even when you do win, um, you know, you can't, you can't sell this cannabis. Um, it's it's not worth anything anymore. And so you've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, it's this is worth a lot of money. Um, so yeah, just the the kind of I'd say the the legal costs and the costs of the cannabis that's seized. Um, when they show when a lot of these folks I've speak, spoken to when the sheriffs come, they they don't just seize the cannabis. They seize um, money or cell phones or um, other things and um and yeah you're you're really putting yourself in a, a very vulnerable position and yeah i think it, it you know takes a lot of um takes a lot of courage to to really speak publicly and um especially considering a, a stigma that i think society still has against uh folks who um grow and sell and smoke cannabis
You touched on it earlier, and not all of these cops are seizing money and cannabis and turning it over to uh, their their department. Some of them are keeping it for themselves, and some of them are being caught for it. Talk about Brendan J.C. Tatum, please. Sure. Um, Tatum, um, he is one of two who have been um, indicted, um, and they're, uh, yeah, he pleaded guilty um, to stealing at least $3,700 in cash and uh, cannabis from drivers pulled over on the same drive, on the same uh, 101 freeway where uh, Zeke was stopped. Um, the prosecutors also said that he failed to report um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in bank deposits, um, which, you know, allegedly taken from drivers just like Zeke. Um, and he uh, apparently bought a uh, fishing boat almost worth $50,000 um, with stolen cash and um he has another uh one of his colleagues um another officer from rona park rona park um which is up in northern california um he's charged in the same thing he's pleaded not guilty um so we're kind of watching um what happens with him but yeah um yeah there's there's uh it really spans there's there's a spectrum here of, um and i would say tatum is is uh one of the most extreme all right, Kate Michigan, we will continue to track this with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.